Mindfulness Mode 396. I realized just how lost so many people are and just the depth of yearning there is towards um, meaning and understanding. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Great to be here. So glad you're here today as well. Last time I mentioned I've been receiving emails about your fathers. And as you know, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, my father passed away recently. And I'm, I think, thinking about honoring my father by composing a new song for my podcast theme. What do you think about that? Because I've been using that same theme music since I started. And I always thought, you know, I should be playing the theme music since I'm a musician. I should compose something. What do you think of that idea? Give me some feedback. Send me a a thought. Just like, well, a bunch of you have sent me some info, some ideas and thoughts about your fathers. I'd welcome that as well. Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com is where you can send it. And I've been sending out Mindfulness Mode t-shirts to people that have sent me some feedback Uh, so you know feel free send me some feedback and I'm thinking about the 400th episode coming up and maybe making some changes and and if you have some thoughts of other changes that I could make to the podcast to just change it up a bit or make it better I'm always you know welcome I'm always welcoming feedback if you send me something and speaking of feedback jackie from atlanta thank you so much jackie for the awesome beautiful thoughtful letter you sent me jackie said i was pretty close with my dad he lived in new jersey and i lived in georgia every break from school i visited him We had a great relationship as child and father, and she told me a lot of details. She said, he was so full of laughs and energy and life. I adored him. I never saw a bad side of him. When I moved to New Jersey, he treated me like an adult. We had conversations about topics we had never had before. I got to know him in another way, like you did, your dad, teaching him accordion. And then you went on to talk about your stepdad and tell us some things about him. So thank you for that. You said, your stepdad, you said you speak regularly, even about nothing. He's so calm and such a great listener. And without using words, you would know if you disappointed him. You said, I know now that I make him proud and we're very close still. And thank you too for your very kind words Jackie about the Mindfulness Mode podcast. I'm glad it's so meaningful for you and thanks for that. Oh, I wanted to briefly mention I'm going to be speaking at PodFest in Orlando, Florida and that's coming up on March 7th. If you have any interest at all in podcasting or hanging out with podcasters, this is the place to be. Check it out, podfestexpo.com And yeah, sign up. And I know last time when I was speaking there, some of my listeners were there and we all went out for dinner and we had a great time. And it was wonderful to touch base with listeners. And I would love to touch base with you as well. Maybe you're already in Florida. Love to see you. Today, I have a guest on who has an absolutely incredible story. And as soon as 
we connected on Zoom, which is how I record my episodes, I thought, wow, I relate to him so much. And we just had such an easy, relaxing conversation. And it was it was an incredible story that he told. And I think you're going to enjoy it too. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with TM Hoy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you are in for a treat today because I have with us a phenomenal author. I've just been sitting here reading his book for the last hour and a half, and it is truly impactful. It is it is just a book that you must, must get. I'm here with T.M. Hoy, and oh, T.M., are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I am. I've been meditating for the last hour and uh, feel very, very good. So thank you for asking that. Well, so do I. It's, a wonderful, I feel it's so wonderful to be on your show, Mr. Link. Bruce, thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, call me Bruce for sure. I yeah. will. I oh, will. it's so great, yeah, to have you here. I want to share a bit about you and what you've done, and you've got an incredibly powerful story. I'll just share it with our listeners right now, TM. TM Hoy has written Rotting in the Bangkok Hilton, and it was published by Skyhorse. And he's also written The Nature of Religion, and he's got a brand new book, which I've been reading, which is called Lasting Happiness, Secrets of the Heart, Mind, and Spirit. And I can tell you, this book is just going to be a game changer for millions of people. I know that. But going on with, with this bio, originally, he was from California's Silicon Valley, and TM became a gemologist after college and worked in the jewelry industry for years. He traveled extensively, both throughout Europe and Asia, and he kept homes in Bangkok and the northern Thai city of uh, Che Mai. And today he lives in Tucson, Arizona, where he fights, <laughs> this is funny, where he fights a losing battle against getting fat from all the great Mexican restaurants. And you can find him online at lastinghappiness.net. So TM, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me is about living in the moment and really about um, appreciating the things that surround us. And if you're able to do that, if you're able to form a connection with just the now, without having to think about so many people are caught up in the future, in the past, uh, they're caught up in a human world, really, where they don't, they're never really here. They don't really live now. Um, they live in some other mental space. And to just have a connection where, for example, um, you pay attention to the sky once in a while and see the clouds, or you really pay attention to the trees and the rocks and the other natural features that surround us, that you form a connection with that. That, to me, is what mindfulness is, and the value of it is when you have a connection with your surroundings and when you have a sense of um, something greater than yourself. And that is the core of spirituality, of course, is that connection with uh, the eternal, the infinite, the beautiful. And we're surrounded by these. We're surrounded by mystery and wonder, but we so seldom pause long enough to really make a connection with it or, or uh, live there. And that, that to me is mindfulness. Well, we've definitely, we definitely surrounded by it. And I know you loved rocks and minerals and became a gemologist. Did you always, even in childhood, you loved rocks? Is that, yes. is that true? Yeah. 
I, it's kind of a family tradition. My grandfather on my father's side was um, a rock hound, and my uncle as well, my great uncle on my dad's side was a rock hound. We'd go out to the Mojave and uh, pick up beautiful stones, and then they'd uh, tumble them. They had all the equipment for lapidary stuff, and so they made run really wonderful objects with it. And of course, thunder eggs, which are the you know the meteorites that you'd break apart and see the amethyst crystals in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I've always loved beautiful. I've loved minerals. I've always loved precious metals, precious stones, and uh, so. When I went through college, um, it was kind of a weird period where I was studying psychology okay. and there weren't really any jobs at that mm -hmm. time. And so a good friend of mine suggested, listen, you're already making and selling sterling silver jewelry. Just go into that. And I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. I love this. And, and I went ahead and made a career out of it. And so that was a good choice. And so, yeah, so that was at a fairly young age. You were already into the career. Is that true? Right, right, right. In the yeah. 20s, yeah. Yeah, in your 20s. And then you you met with great success in that career, it sounds like. I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was very fortunate. I met a lot of really good people. And uh, in the retail business, I did did well in retail. I, I had excellent training. And I kind of liked to teach a little bit. And so educating customers makes a huge difference, especially in jewelry. And um, I always tended to go towards the higher end of the market, the, uh, the higher quality stuff. Not necessarily in price, but just because you're dealing, I don't want to sell garbage really. You know, that wasn't what I was about. Sure. So um, I made some really good connections with customers. And then I began traveling. I had a good friend of mine from Mallorca and uh, I made a trip to, and I met these women that owned a chain of beauty salons. And so they looked at what I had and compared to the Spanish market, for some reason, jewelry is not very, they don't have a lot of really fine quality colored stones there. And they loved what I, I, I had and bought everything. And then from that point on, um, you know, I just kind of grew from there. And I would make regular trips to Europe and sell jewelry there. Right. And then to Asia after that. And Asia was where I'd source things. So I'd buy uh, sapphires in uh, Kanchanaburi in the south in Thailand. Um, I did a lot of buying in India, uh, but also there in, in Thailand. And most of the world's gemstones come from Asia. Actually. Oh, do they? Okay, so then you you had a villa in Thailand. Well, then... that was my that that's <laughs> Dalen Miller, my uh, public relations guy. They yeah. kind of overplayed that. I mean, it was a nice house. It was a two story. It was split level, uh, right on the river on in, in northern Chiang Mai, outside the city, about five clicks north. So it's a, it's an American style home, and it, it was very large. But um, I think villa is kind of uh, gilding the lily a bit. <laughs> okay. I'd say just a nice house. Okay. So you had a nice house in Thailand and then what happened? Tell us about it. Well, that was a really horrible, uh, horrible, horrible experience. Um, I had a friend of mine who, a very, very dear friend of mine who was going through a lot of tax trouble in the United States. And I owed him, uh, we went back a lot of years, Dr. Don Jolly, great guy. And, um, so he's in the middle of a personal crisis and he kind of was a, um, sort of uh, had a, a little bit of a messianic complex where he would pick people up that needed help and help them. So he had this guy who was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. And uh, he was getting benefits, social security benefits, disability. And he just couldn't take care of the guy anymore. He was like, I, you know, the guy couldn't even use an ATM machine. And so he approached me and he said, would you take on the responsibility to help this guy. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Because really it was just mainly making sure that the money went on groceries and utility bills and not being pissed away on drugs and, and uh, booze. Mm -hmm. 
So when I just made the decision to move from the United States and leave Palm Springs, I had a very nice place in Palm Springs and I decided to go back to Thailand and live there. Um, there was no way that I could just abandon this guy. So I went ahead and agreed and, and I brought him with me to Thailand. And I set up in Northern Thailand. Um, I had an apartment in Bangkok, but I had a house there in Chiang Mai. And so the guy never really, um, to make a very long story short, um, I tried my best to get him set up in a little garage um, because he's like a garage mechanic. So I shipped his tools over. Um, I got a lot of different permissions there. I uh, managed to get a nice little setup there where he had a little, like a a place there where he could create a grocery store, mini mart type thing with a gas station. And anyway, I was in the process of getting all this set up, but he was constantly having fights with my girlfriend that I, this girl that I'd uh, met in Bangkok and brought with me. And uh, they were always fighting each other. And um, so I was off on a business trip. I came back one evening and uh, they'd had a huge fight and he'd strangled her. Oh my gosh. Right. So I come back to my house and I find this horror story and I'm kind of in a spot where I know the Thai police torture people. I know that that's what they do. I know because I've, I've had friends that have gone through some of this stuff and it's, it's well known in the expat community that the Thai police are nothing to be messed with. So I'm sitting there drinking and the time is going by and I'm like, Oh my God, what do I do? Do I, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? And finally midnight rolls around and now I've let it sit there for six hours. I've let her body sit there in the basement for six hours. And I'm like, oh my God, and now I'm implicated. And I just didn't feel that I, I there's just no way that I felt I could go to the police. And so um, the river's right there on the edge behind my house. And we decided to go ahead and, and uh, put her in the river. And a week later it was discovered and uh, we went to prison. And ironically, the police, uh, they were completely uninterested in the crime. Um, they could care less. And they were like, we know who you are. You live right down the street. You're a jeweler. You've been here for years, you know, because I'd been in the city before. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, just pay us the money and go home. Go back to your house. You don't have to be here. <laughs> just pay yeah. us the money. <laughs> go yeah. away. Right. And yeah. I'm like, really? And they were like perfectly gentlemanly. They weren't, they were pleasant and polite and bringing Cokes and, and cigarettes and, yeah, yeah, just pay us the money. Here, here's the telephone. Make the, make the calls you need. Get us the money and then go home. Forget about it. Pretend like it didn't happen. And I'm like, oh, my God. So now I've got 13000 U.S. dollars in my account. And they wanted $20,000 to just forget about it. And I had a week. And it just didn't happen. There was no way. I'm sitting in a prison cell in Asia in the jail, in the, in the, you know, the town jail, yeah. uh, and had to raise $7,000. And this is, this is 1995. Right. When $7,000 was still a pretty sizable amount of money. Sure. So it didn't happen. So now the week goes by. So now I get transferred to the bigger prison, Chiang Mai Remand. Now there's a prosecutor and a judge involved and they want to get paid. And they're upset because they're not getting paid. And they're convinced that I'm just being a Taiwan. Sure. Right. They're yeah. convinced that I'm just being a cheapskate. They're like, you're a jeweler. Of course you can pay us. Come yeah. up with the money. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Pay the money and go away. We don't care. We don't have any interest in you. Just yeah. pay us the money and go. And um, so that led to this long, torturous nightmare situation where finally the, the judge, after a year, 
the consul general in Chiang Mai, Carl, a wonderful guy, a, a friend of mine, and said, Mark, you're going to die here. You just you have no choice. You've got to do what this guy wants. And the only way I can get you to Bangkok where, you know, there's a little bit more oversight and, and we can make sure you survive this. He's demanding you plead guilty and you've got to plead guilty to first degree murder. They know that you're not guilty. They don't care. They're just they want their money, but you're not paying them. And so he's insisting and he has the right. He's the judge. And they, they have Napoleonic law there. So it's not innocent until proven guilty. It's guilty until decided what they want to do with you. Right, sure. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, that that was uh, Chiang Mai was really transformative because uh, I nearly died like several times. And during that experience, that was where everything just is completely stripped away. And you are really down to who you are as a person. And you have no choice but to face that. I mean, many people don't. Many people become drug addicts or go insane in Thai prisons. But for me, um, I, I, the drug thing, now I, I have no desire to do the heroin thing. And um, so there I am, and death is right there. And I'm like, you think about it, and you're like, okay, well, what is it that's really important to you? What really matters? And you can't help but realize the regrets and all the things that you didn't do. And that um, is transformative. You realize, you know what? This is what really matters to me. This is what is important to me. And moving forward, this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I want to do. And that was really the core of what happened uh, that was behind the book. Right. That experience. Right. Wow. Wow. So, so this book, Rotting in the Bangkok Hilton, you mm -hmm. just shared so many stories, so many stories about your experiences that just... Oh my gosh, it was it was terrible to read some of it. Right, you know, right. Like, but was that somehow therapeutic for you to write all of this? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. Oh, that's you, what I figured. Here's therapy. Um, I had a, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Madeline Kaiser. Uh, she's an award-winning poet, and uh, she was an editor at the at the uh, L.A. Times for a while. Her father, uh, funny enough. Is, was the head editor of the Arizona Daily Star for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she was going into the prison system here in the United States in Tucson, and she would do these seminars. And she was coming in two, three times a week for writing. And uh, I had the good fortune to be part of those. And she helped me really develop the writer's craft. And that whole exercise was done as, a, you know, creating these short stories that were very therapeutic. It was just like, just kind of regurgitating this experience mm -hmm. and then kind of going through it. And that's what Rotting in the Bangkok Hilton uh, is. Originally, it was named Land of a Thousand Smiles, and which is the joke. Actually, that's what the Thai tourist name for themselves are in the Land of a Thousand Smiles. But the point of the book was that there's many kinds of smiles. And many of them are evil. <laughs> right. So, wow. But, and so did you want to... Uh, write a book about happiness from way back then? I, I felt that I had some insight. I, at that point, I wasn't, it was too inco wasn't coherent as yeah. an idea. Sure. But ultimately it did. Um, when I got back here to the United States in Los Angeles, there were so many people, and I realized that I, I'd been talking to there in prison, and I realized just how lost so many people are. 
and just the depth of yearning there is towards um, meaning and understanding. And um, there's a lot of things missing from our our lives. We have super comfortable, convenient lives, and we're surrounded by pleasures and all kinds of wonderful things. But the core of human experience is missing in that we don't have meaning, we don't have creativity, we don't have a lot of love. And so what many people consider to be the essence of human life in American society anyway is absent. And at that point, I realized there in Los Angeles that there's all these people that we're t- I'm talking to because that experience of facing your own mortality that that is really transformative because you have a radically different perspective on life at that point. And um, there were a lot of people that I had conversations with that were really searching and asking questions. And I realized then that, yeah, this is something important. This is something you really need to talk about. So. Yeah, truly important. You talked about Martin uh, Seligman, founder of the positive psychology movement right. in the book. And and you talked about what he believes happiness is, PERMA. Right. And that was right. that was interesting as you kind of sort of laid the groundwork for the reader in this book. I thought that was interesting. Would you share a bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Seligman, brilliant, brilliant academic, um, spent his career developing tools. Um, I think he's probably, his most successful experiment with, was with the U.S. military. They had a lot of difficulty with soldiers and um, because a lot of them have miserable personal lives. And so um, anyway, he came up with a course that, that did a tremendous uh, service to these people, to our service people there in the military, U.S. Army. And uh, the essence of his research is the acronym is kind of clunky, uh, PERMA, um, but essentially when you boil it all down, he's after the same thing that I'm talking about, which is relationships. Yes. That if you have successful relationships, you're going to have a successful life. And PERMA, uh, Mr. Seligman's work, kind of focuses a little bit more on strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so he has like, a, if you've ever visited his website at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, it, it kind of is like a kind of like a laundry list of things you go through and then you check off what, you know, you, you basically discover what your strengths and weaknesses are. And then he says, focus of course on improving your weaknesses and, and developing your strengths. So, so that's, that's his uh, essence of Mr. Seligman's work, but uh, he's spawned a movement of people that have focused on trying to study happiness in the United States. And that's been enormously beneficial because there've been all these medical studies and these wonderful uh, longitudinal studies of, what is it exactly? Let's quantify it. Let's get to the heart of it and let's eliminate the guesswork and let's get something solid and academic and well, more than, more than just academic empirical. And, and that's what my, that's the foundation of what I'm doing is always touching bases with that and always getting back to that and saying, okay, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine to think about what happiness is, it's fine to philosophize, but let's get some stuff that's really solid, that really matters, that really is crucial and vital and also well-tested and evidence-based. And that's what that's what I always try to use as a touchstone there. Well, and you've really gathered that together for your book, Lasting Happiness, that's for sure. You gathered it all together. At one point you talked about our brain is like a cake, with right. three layers and it, it just created such a great image in my mind you know and and two of those layers 
do not operate with reason, right? <laughs> you know, right. which is a very majority, important fact. Yeah, the majority of our mind is not amenable to it, doesn't care about it. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we get ourselves in real predicaments, don't we? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because the things that we love, the things we're passionate about, aren't really amenable to reason. They don't have a lot of connection with it. And it's very easy to uh, kind of wander off into areas that might not be, you know, that our, our rational mind is going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are you doing? And then the, the animal part of us is like, shut up, go away. I'm going yeah. back to the casino, you know. Yeah. So. yeah, I love this one quote by John Milton that you you included in your book. The mind is is its own place and in itself can make heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Right. And you had that hell that you were living through and somehow you got through it and you became a person, well, you were probably a person with tremendous wisdom before, but you seem to have this amazing level of wisdom now that you've, that you've shared in your book Thank with you. us all. Thank you. That, you really make me feel great. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you, Bruce. Well, it's true. It's true. And if you're listening to this now and you haven't checked out this book, you just really have to. Lasting Happiness, Secrets of the Heart, Mind, and Spirit. And uh, it's it doesn't cost a lot. It's a great book. It's got super images in it as well as, as profound, profound knowledge that you'll just want to read over and over and over again. I always ask a question about bullying. Uh, because I worked in bullying prevention for a long time. And I know you talk in your book about how, you know, we bully ourselves. You know, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. But do you have a, a story that you could share about bullying where mindfulness would have or did make a difference? And I'm sure you've got thousands of them. But is there something well, you can share with us? Sure, absolutely. One, one that comes immediately to mind, there's a lot of conflict in prisons. And um, violence and conflict are kind of at the core of that experience because you get a lot of people that really are rule breakers and you get them all together and stuff them in one room and they're not able, allowed to leave. That's prison. Right. So there was one thing, you know, and, and when you, you mentioned this previously and I thought, okay, bullying, interesting. And um, so there was this one guy and this was in Texas in a prison in Texas, federal prison, who just couldn't get along with anybody in his car cartel member. And he would he would bully because he was a very large guy and, uh, you know, worked out a lot. Being a long story short, um, he was picking on one guy who is kind of small and thin, uh, uh, just a, a Native American kid. And um, there it was on the uh, weight pile. And there was a number of us that were around that really liked this kid. He was a good kid and uh, from uh, one of the tribes there in Texas. And we just said, you know what, we're, we're not putting up with this anymore. And we surrounded this guy in the middle of this session where he's, uh, you know, belittling this kid and, and really, really overbearing. And we surrounded him and we're just like, look at yourself. Look at who you are. You're 280 pounds of solid meat. You bench press 500 pounds. And here's this kid who's soaking wet 100 pounds. And, you know, you're, 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 you're bullying this kid. What are, you, what are you doing? Look at yourself. Who are you? 
And the shame of the group, the ability of the group to just focus their energy and saying, you know what, you are so close to being an outcast. We are done with you. We are so sick of this. And that had an enormous impact. And he gathered, he, he went quiet, he gathered up his things, he left, and he was a lot more reflective and a lot more thoughtful. And that of everybody just dirty looking him and giving him a hard time and saying, this is not acceptable behavior. And that bringing the present moment, that mindfulness moment, if you will, interfering there had a real impact. And it had an impact on other people that had that kind of personality as well, because they saw what happened that if you, and this is the essence of, of society, I guess, is that if you have a group of people that have share share the same kind of values and vision that they really can make an impact really can have an impact on your surrounding even in a society as violent and sort of out of control as a prison and um so yeah that that's when you mentioned bullying i thought immediately of that little get together where we were all like no 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 we're we're that's we're done we're done this is enough and that was that was good you know what's well, a great story because it sounds like it truly helped him it did it did and i think that he became I wouldn't say he ever became a really good person, but he's certainly less less offensive. And he was, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it improved him quite a bit, actually. Wow. wow, that's that's incredible. Now, I want to talk to you about meditation. I know you were meditating before before we got on our, our Skype connection here, but uh, tell me about the progression of meditation. Did you meditate when you were in prison? And what was yeah. it like then? And what's it like now? Share that with us, will you? Sure, absolutely. Um, meditation for me goes back a very, very long time. Um, I was meditating. Well, I've always been fo- fond of shamanism, and I don't know how familiar you are with it, but um, shamanism, the practice of shamanism, really is about um, exploring interior worlds. And meditation is the perfect doorway to that. Right. And so even in my teens, I had been kind of uh, on a spiritual search and that um, never really stopped. Uh, and I continued through. I learned a lot about Taoism. And of course, the Eastern philosophies are all very much into meditation. And then for a period there, I tried transcendental meditation, which is really, really good, where you're focusing your guided imagery on kind of cosmic things mm-hmm. and on like a larger scale you're focusing more on um, universal energies if you will and so then in prison it became absolutely crucial Um, meditation really helped me meditation tea and cigarettes is what helped me survive (laughs) that experience and then i gave up the cigarettes Uh so uh about 15 years ago but the meditation um for me has always been hand in hand with guided imagery and so that, uh, as time has gone on, and um, it just depends on what you're, what you like personally, and what everybody's different about what they find peaceful and what they find enjoyable. But um, meditation for me has always been kind of intertwined with the idea. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, memory palaces of Renaissance Europe. A little bit. Okay. Well. In classical times in ancient Greece and Rome, they developed methods, um, very effective ones for memorization. Yes. And in it, you create in your mind mnemonic devices. So, for example, 
you might have a talking statue and it says something that you want to remember. But you you associate in your mind images with memories. Mm -hmm. And so the ancients developed this. And then in the Renaissance Europe, uh, scholars rediscovered this and they kind of took it to the next level. And they took it and said, okay, we need to create something that is going to hold enormous stores of data. And that's what they did. And they created the memory palace. And so here you have a mind structure where everything in it holds a memory. It's everything in it is a device that's a mnemonic device. And you can make it as elaborate or beautiful as you like. For me, I really love that. And Hawaiian shamanism, which is a book, I'm, when you ask me about that, I'm going to mention this. To okay. You. But um, this particular book on Hawaiian shamanism has some excellent ideas in it about that, where you go into your own garden, you go into your own secret garden. And that for me is kind of where I go when I meditate. And it has a relationship to the Hawaiian shaman idea of reality, which is that you have three, you're you're kind of like a, a composite of three different parts, the higher self, which they call the Kane, um, the Lono, which is our talkative kind of monkey mind self, and then the Ku, which is the foundational creative part that's the wordless one. And those three together create your daily reality. And to go and deal with those in Hawaiian shamanism, you go into this kind of secret garden and that's where you interact with these beings and these different levels of reality. And um, so that to me is kind of like where I, I, I know that's really elaborate and bizarre and sorry about getting off no, on the track on that. But anyway, um, that sort of to me is where I like to meditate and um, they all are kind of melded together and incorporated together. Yeah, I'm so glad you shared that with us because a lot of our listeners, you know, would like to meditate, but we like some more insight from mm -hmm. others about meditation. So thanks for sharing that with us. Now, as we move forward in the interview, TM, I want to ask you uh, five quick answer questions. And the first one, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Without any doubt whatsoever, it would be Thomas More. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read his book, Care of the Soul, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, he's a psychiatrist out of New York, brilliant man. And he has taken spirituality, delved into it, and said, this is how you craft a really rich, satisfying life. Yeah. And I've, I've borrowed extensively from Dr. Moore. Oh, he's awesome. I've, I've just actually been listening to some uh, excerpts from Thomas Moore. Yeah, so. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So he would, without any question, he'd be at the top of the list. Awesome. So uh, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's been a wonderful thing. Um, it has enriched my life a lot. I think mainly because I feel a lot more connection to the surroundings. And, and in daily life, um, I try to spend time um, pausing for beauty and, and looking at the beauty of the natural world. I'm very fortunate, Tucson's a lovely town, and we've got the, the Catalina Mountains, right. um, the Santa, Can Santa Ritas, and so we're surrounded by mountains, um, the clouds, the sun, uh, it's just a very beautiful place. And so I, I, I take enough time to really pause and, and take that in. And that to me really is the core of mindfulness, is being able to appreciate your daily life. You know? Right. I agree completely. Tell me how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice, TM. Absolutely crucial. Um, whenever you feel a little bit tense or a little bit upset or any kind of stress at all, 
just do a quick little minute or two exercise where you count your breaths. That's all. So for me, whenever I begin, it always begins with take a deep breath, hold it for three seconds, release it for three seconds. Okay. And you do that pattern. And the next thing you know, ah, everything becomes manageable again. And you're focused and you're in the moment. And that breathing exercise helps kind of uh, calm the mind down. And that, that uh, is a crucial part of any meditation exercise. So now's your chance to recommend the book. Okay. Well, I would recommend uh, The Urban Shaman by Kahili King. And it is, it's not for everybody, but it's very, very positive. There's nothing dark in that book. Every aspect of it is positive. And the thing that I love so much about it is it's really great at freeing your imagination. So it's going to set your imagination afire. And it's wonderful in that he leads you by the hand through these guided imitation, these guided imagery sessions, really. Mm -hmm. And um, you can populate it with whatever you like. But whether you want to consider it a totem animal or a power animal, whether you think you're talking with the honored ancestors, whether you believe you're connecting with some greater than the self thing, or whether uh, it's something more simple, which is just you're talking to yourself. You're talking to parts of your mind that you normally don't have a conversation with. However you perceive that, that's fine because you're in your mind, you're in your own imagination and there's nothing to be afraid of there. And I think it would benefit a lot of people that have maybe, I don't know, a lot of people I think think meditation is boring and it doesn't have to be. Um, You can enrich your imagination and and populate your mind with whatever you want to be there. And um, that kind of, that book does a good job of that. I can't wait to read it because it's a book I have not read. So I'm very much looking forward to it. You'll enjoy it. You really I will. And I will put the name of it in our show notes. So if you're listening to this right now, mindfulnessmode.com, and you can check out the show notes. And all you have to do is type in TM Hoy, and that will take you right to this episode. And do you have an app of any kind that you would share that you think can help with mindfulness? Um, I thought long and hard about that. And I really don't, uh, I, I hate to admit this, it sounds almost like I'm um, uh, a Luddite, which I'm not, but I, I don't really use apps very much. Not a problem. Yeah, not, not a so, problem. Not, so I, I will explore that, though. You know, I will explore yeah. that, but nothing right off the brain that, that I could think of. Yeah, well, not a problem at all. I'm just so thrilled to talk with you and to to actually see the face and hear the voice of the man behind Lasting <laughs> Happiness, this amazing book that you've put out. And uh, I just think it's awesome that you're sharing your wisdom with the world through this book. Now, we can connect with you, I know, through lastinghappiness.net. Is there right. any other way that you would suggest that we connect with you? Is that the best way? That's the best way. And um, I'm really open to conversations. I really am looking to connect with people. Um, It's not, there's a lot of authors out there that are focused on different things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing wrong with, you know, chasing money and all that, but I'm more interested in having some conversations. So if any of your listeners are interested, please just go on the site. There's comments on the foot of every page and just comment and start a conversation. And I would love that very much. And I'm really seeking feedback of how is it that I could improve this or make this better and and talking to people about that and, and how is it impacting their life? Is it making a difference or not? And that to me is what really matters. So I know this might be a personal question, but are you working on any other books right now? 
Right now, I'm still in the tidying up stage of my own book project. Yeah. Uh, I'm finishing off the audiobook version of Lasting Happiness, which hopefully will be available in February. Um, I'm still doing a lot of um, content creation for the website. Um, I'm going to do a video seminar uh, series on the book because, um, as you mentioned, I think it's a little bit tele telegraphic in its style. It's very concentrated. There's a lot of material there. And so what I plan on doing is taking the book and kind of delving deeper into the subjects I raise and doing that in the video seminar series. But um, I do have a, a project on the horizon. Um, I haven't named it yet, but it's um, a completely different. Uh, well, it, it's still it's still it's not cohesive yet, but it's a story about a girl uh, who connects with uh, animals telepathically. And it's really it's a young adult novel, if you will. But the essence of it is about how we need to rejoin the family of living things. And that's the next project. And that's probably 2020, maybe. Exciting. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, TM. It's been an honor to talk with you. Thank you, Bruce. I, it's been wonderful to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to reach your listeners. Thank you. Great. And thanks for bearing with me and talking to me. Absolutely. Bye now. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.